0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want to walk you back
1: about 16 years. Uh, 16 years ago, at the University of Oklahoma, the athletic director, Joe Castiglione, was faced with a very important decision. And that was who he was going to hire to be the head coach of our football team. And so uh, Joe Castiglione uh, had this, this opportunity, and it really was an opportunity because when you go to recruit a, a coach for a university like OU with the history and the tradition that we have, really you have a very deep pool of candidates who would be interested in coaching for OU. And of course, at that time... Uh, Back in in the winter of 98 into the beginning of 99, he hired Bob Stoops, and the rest has been history. But you know, at at the time that he hired Coach Stoops, no one knew exactly what kind of a coach he would be. And with all of the, the possibilities of people who would have taken the job, I mean, that was a pretty important decision. And so what I thought we would begin our time with today is maybe putting up a couple of, of different resumes of people who would have taken the job at, as head coach at the University of Oklahoma, had the job been offered to them, just for a little compare and contrast. The first person, of course, it, of course is Bob Stoops. Uh, the second person is, is me. Um, both of us were interested in the position. Um, but let's just kind of, how did he evaluate between us? Now, he didn't realize maybe the full extent of what he was doing, but how did he evaluate between us? You know, Bob Stoops had just come off winning a national championship with the University of Florida as their defensive coordinator. Um, I had just come off my third year of of seminary. Um, Coach Stoops, had a long history in this region. He was an assistant at Kansas State, the defensive coordinator there and their big turnaround. Uh, he knew the Big 12. He knew how to recruit this area. Um, I grew up near the state of Kansas. Um, slight differences. Uh, he played college football at the University of Iowa, had experience with that. Um, I like college football. And, and you know, when, when you when you put those resumes and you stack them up next to one another, um, it's it's not a huge surprise that Coach Stoops was in demand, not just from the University of Oklahoma, but from other places. Uh, my phone has never rung about being a coach at the collegiate level. Uh, but you know, who's to say back in 1998 who would have been the better college football coach? I mean, Joe Castiglione did not know, would that be on the shadow of a doubt that. Coach Stoops would be better than me. I mean, I personally think I would have been a heck of a coach, um, but he chose to go in in that direction. Now, when you look at those two resumes, though, there it was a, a quite a different decision to, to choose Coach Stoops instead of choosing someone like me, isn't it? To choose Coach Stoops required a step of faith, but it was a step of faith into the light. To choose me to be the head coach would have been a flying leap into the dark. Both require faith. One of them's just plain crazy. The other one is based on some matter of revelation in history. You know, we're in the middle of a series right now called Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. And one of the questions that gets asked of Christians, and one of the questions that maybe you have had, maybe you have right now, is, is there really a God? Does God really exist? And you know, when that question is posed, sometimes as that question is posed, we think of it as hiring me to be the head coach at OU, that somehow it's like a a blind leap into the dark, just throwing anything at the wall, hoping something sticks, But in reality, a belief in God is not just a leap into the dark. I believe that belief in God is a a step into the light because God has revealed himself in time and space and history so that when it comes to us embracing that there is a God, it is not something that is done as a complete blind leap. It takes faith, but God has made that faith possible. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, to look at uh, some of the evidence that exists for why it is rational for us to take a step into the light and embrace the existence of God. We're going to do that in a, in a couple of, of movements. The the first movement, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about belief in God as something that is reasonable because God has put references out in the world in which we live that are constantly calling us to believe in his existence. See, God, you know, when, 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 when Joe Castiglione was going to hire Coach Stoops, he probably picked up the phone and called Steve Spurrier and Bill Snyder and different people who Stoops had worked for in the past, and he said, tell me what you know about him. So that his step was a step into the light. The same thing is true about our God. When our God calls us to believe in him, he's put references all over the place for us to tap into and to listen to, to understand the reality of his existence. And, and this idea is something that is spoken forth by King David in the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 19. If you got a Bible, you might want to turn to Psalm 19. We're going to look at the first six verses of Psalm 19 as they they tell us something about the references that God has in the world that are proclaiming his reality, that are shining light on his existence that we might step into it. Psalm 19 verse 1 begins this way. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What David is saying there is that God has created the world as a reference to his reality. And this reference that the created order around us is, is always declaring the reality of our Creator. It's not something that happens occasionally. It's not something that happens every once in a while. From the time the sun rises to the time the sun sets and all the time during the nighttime, God is being declared through the created order. His references just keep on speaking. This means that when we see the sunrise in the morning, it's declaring the greatness of a creator. When we look at the stars in the sky at night, and the vastness of their distance from us, it, it lets us know of the, the immensity of the God who created not just this planet but the entire universe. When we go for a walk in the woods and we we see all of the different insects and animals and the ecosystems that are out there, we see all of that, and, and it and it's a decla- a declaration, a reminder to us of. The the creator who put all of this together in a way that would sustain life. When we go and see video footage of the depths of the sea and there's creatures who can live down in total darkness so far beneath the ocean surface. And then we see the diversity of, of animals like a horny toad that could live in the desert and whose back has ripples and spikes in order to trap any moisture that might come and, and whisk it to the mouth so that the, the toad can survive. When we see all of that, it's, it's a continual, consistent reference that says that there is an intelligent designer behind, behind all of this who is powerful and who is greater than we are. See, it's not a blind leap in some direction, but it's, it's listening to references that God has placed in the created order that says, there is a God who is out there, and he is far greater than us. You no, know, when we understand that God has placed creation as references to his reality, uh, we begin to view things a little differently. You know, the discovery channel could be the theology channel. Because God, when we see the created order detailed in, in video and documentary and in the complexity of it all, God's intended consequence for us from that information is that we would say there is a God and He is greater than us. God has given references that are consistently and continually calling forth His reality. Now that's what God has done for us. But the, the question is, do we listen to that? You know, just because God has got references out there doesn't mean that humanity take the time to listen and interpret those references in the right way. And when you think about it, science, good science, is a matter of listening to God and His revelation through the created order. Because the more someone understands about the world in which we live, the created world, the more the intended consequences for us to understand the reality of a God who is greater than us. You know, this morning I've asked a friend of mine and uh, a a longtime Wildwood member, Dr. Mike Strauss, to come and to share a little bit with us. Uh, Mike is a professor of physics at the University of Oklahoma. Mike has opportunities to travel all over the world and to talk about the scientific evidence for the existence of God. And when we talk about belief in God being a step into the light and not a leap into the dark, um, my friendship with Mike immediately came to mind because Mike is someone who has helped me see the revelation of God through the created order. And so I've asked if he would come and to share a little bit with us now about um, how he sees that in his field of work. So please join me in welcoming up Dr. Mike Strauss.
0: Thanks. Mark did ask me to address um, the question of whether there is evidence that God exists from an objective scientific point of view. And it's an important question. You know, last week, Bruce talked about barriers that people have to faith, and one of those barriers was an intellectual barrier. And this is certainly one of the questions that is an intellectual barrier. There's a common misconception among many people that there's no rational reason to believe that God exists. In fact, some people have the idea that to be a Christian, you have to put aside any intellectual questions and rational thinking and just have faith without asking these kinds of tough questions. But Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. Jesus encouraged us to love God with our minds, and the only way to do that is to think, to ask tough questions. Now, my personality as a scientist requires that if I'm going to believe in God, I must be able to think and ask tough questions, and there must be rational, reasonable, objective evidence for what I believe. So I want to talk briefly this morning about some of that evidence for God. It's not proof you can't prove God. You can observe evidence for Him, and different people will always interpret evidence in different ways. And so there are different ideas about what I'll talk about this morning. Um, but for me, these ideas constitute powerful evidence for God's existence. Now really, as Mark said, we shouldn't be surprised that there is evidence for God from observing nature. That's what Psalm 19 says. The Bible does say over and over that we see um, God's attributes through His creation. Romans 1:20 says, "For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen." being understood from what has been made, so the people are without excuse. I have a friend who's an artist, and he says that a work of art shows the soul of the artist. This universe is God's work of art, and by observing it and studying it, we should see his soul, we should see his attributes. And as a scientist, I have this privilege of studying God's creation up close and in detail. And when I do, I see objective evidence that the God of the Bible is real and active. In particular, I observe a universe that looks like it has a designer and a creator who cares about humanity. And this morning, I want to briefly just describe five evidences for God um, from scientific observations. The first is that mathematics describes the universe. Now, suppose you were asked to design a building that had to be strong and safe and survive Oklahoma tornadoes. Uh, You might start by drawing blueprints and making sure that the building's infrastructure will support the building. You'd write mathematical equations that describe the stress and the strain on the load-bearing supports. Um, Before you even start the building, the mathematics would give you confidence that the building would stand strong. There's a group of people who are looking for intelligent life beyond the Earth, and that group is called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And they're primarily looking for some kind of mathematical pattern or equation that another intelligent life would beam would to us. And why is this? Because um, when you have mathematical equations that describe something, you can be confident the source of that mathematics is an intelligent being. When scientists study the universe, we find that there are a few fundamental mathematical equations that describe how it works. Physicists develop and use these equations to understand the universe. In fact, physicists won't say they really understand something unless they have a well-defined mathematical description of that phenomena. To the physicists, the mathematics is actually beautiful. Never thought you'd hear that, right? Mathematics can be beautiful. It's elegant, and it's magnificent, and it describes the world. How is it that math describes the universe? Just as an engineer would use math to build a building, to describe the building, It looks like it's designed. In his book, uh, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences, the theoretical physicist and mathematician Eugene Wigner writes, the miracle of the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the foundation of the laws of physics is a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor deserve. The second aspect of the universe that seems to point to God is that the physical properties of the universe are finely tuned to allow life. There are over a hundred characteristics of the universe that have to be set just right if there's going to be any life in the universe. It's as if I have a panel in front of me with a hundred knobs that I can be tuned to dial in the value of fundamental parameters of the universe, things like the strength of the gravitational force or the speed of light in a vacuum. And if I turn any knob by just a few percent, I get a universe that is inhospitable to life. In fact, in many cases, if I turn the knob just a little, I get no universe at all. The universe wouldn't even exist. It's as if the universe is finely tuned and designed perfectly so that humans can exist. Let me describe one property of nature that's very strange and bizarre that illustrates this fine-tuning. It's something I actually study in my research. My research is done at a laboratory near Geneva, Switzerland, called CERN Laboratory, the European Center for Particle Physics. We smash protons together to try to understand the structure of matter. So I'll tell you a little bit about the structure of matter. Most of you know that everything is made of atoms, and any atom is made of a nucleus and electrons that surround the nucleus. And if you look in the nucleus, you'd see neutrons and protons. Just raise your hand when I've lost you. And... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's a few already, good. And if you look inside the neutrons and protons, you'd find three particles called quarks. But the neutron and proton, that's actually what I study in my research the quarks inside the neutrons and protons. But the, the neutron and proton is more um, complicated than that. It also contains particles called gluons that hold the quarks together. But the most bizarre thing about the inside of a proton and neutron is that it contains particles called virtual particles that pop into existence for a brief moment and then disappear. And there's nothing like this in the macroscopic world, so let let me give you a bad analogy. Suppose I had a piece of cherry pie, or a whole cherry pie. I like cherry pie. We'll take the whole pie, right? And it's got cherries and filling and crust. But every once in a while, something would pop into existence in the cherry pie, like an apple, and then it would go away. And then a brief moment later, maybe a watermelon pops into existence inside the pie and then goes away. And then maybe an elephant pops into existence inside the pie and goes away. Now inside the proton, this really happens. These particles pop into existence momentarily and then go away. Um, But that's not the most strange or bizarre thing about these virtual particles. As weird as they are, it turns out if there were not virtual particles inside the proton, We would not be here to talk about it. If there were no virtual particles inside the proton, there's a sequence of events that would lead to no life in the universe and maybe no universe at all. Those particles inside the proton that pop into existence and go away, fine-tune the mass of the proton, which is finely tuned with the strength of the forces of the universe and finely tuned with other masses of the universe. If I take those away, I would cease to exist. So these strange virtual particles are just one very small, no pun intended, very small example of the many elements in the universe that are extremely fine-tuned that allow life to exist. The physicist Paul Davies writes in his book, The Cosmic Blueprint, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. The third element from science that points to God is that DNA carries massive amounts of information. DNA is a molecular strand that contains all the genetic information for any known form of life, and all of our cells carry this DNA molecule, and inside of that DNA are the instructions needed to create and maintain life. Every strand of DNA is made of four different nucleotides or base pairs. You can think of them as an alphabet made up of four letters. And in the human genome, there are about three billion of these letters. If we were to print out the the letters in the human genome, it would create a stack of books about as high as the Washington Monument. And that information is inside each of your cells. But to me, the most remarkable thing about DNA is that it carries vast amounts of information. In those three billion letters is all the information that makes you and I who we are physically. In his book, The Road Ahead, Bill Gates wrote, DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. Now, normally when we see information, we immediately infer that there is an intelligent being behind that information. If you're walking along the beach and you find a message in a bottle, and on that message is some kind of language, even if it's a language you don't understand, you will know that some intelligent being wrote that message. If you look at a mountain and the four peaks of the mountain look remarkably like the head of four, heads of four famous presidents, you assume there's an intelligence behind that because the sculpture conveys information. On the other hand, you don't expect non-intelligence to send you information. You wouldn't expect a random star to all of a sudden start blinking Morse code and send us a message because there's no intelligence behind it. The fact that, as, at its core, DNA is a complex computer code programmed with all the information needed for life is strong evidence that there is intel- an intelligent being behind it all. The fourth evidence for God from science that I show, I'll share briefly is that the universe had a transcendent origin. Now, in the early 20th century, most scientists believed that the universe was eternal, that it, it always existed. But beginning in about 1929, observations began to show that a very different picture. The universe seemed to be expanding like a balloon being blown up. Now, if you have a balloon expanding, it implies that there must have been a point in time when it started to expand. Uh, the universe had a point in time where it began to expand. Scientists call this point in time the Big Bang. The name Big Bang is really a misnomer, for it implies that something exploded. But theoretical physics and observations indicate that the Big Bang wasn't really an explosion, it was the beginning of everything we know, the beginning of space and time and matter and energy. It's not an explosion, it's a creation event. This is a phenomenal scientific discovery. The universe had a beginning. Now, scientists have never liked the idea of the Big Bang because of its theological implications. If the universe had a beginning, then it's likely that it had a beginner. In fact, scientists were very reluctant to accept the Big Bang because of these implications. They only embraced the idea because the observational evidence was overwhelming and undeniable. Today, many scientists continue to try to develop alternative explanations because they don't like the idea that the universe might have had a beginning and a real beginner. But beyond that, here's the really important point. Don't miss this. If everything we know physically, all of space and time and matter and energy, had a beginning, then the cause of that beginning, the cause of this universe, cannot be part of the universe. The cause of this universe has to be outside the universe or transcendent. This leads us to what I believe is the best explanation for the origin of the universe, the transcendent God of the Bible. The Bible describes a God who's not a part of this universe but outside it, He's a God who speaks and he brings the universe into existence. In the the church, there's sometimes discussion about the when and the how of creation, but the modern scientific evidence is in complete agreement with the Bible that the universe had an origin and that the origin must be transcendent. The physicist Robert Jastrow recognizes this agreement between science and Christianity, and he wrote this about the Big Bang origin of the universe. For the scientist who has lived by his faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. And then finally, the last piece of evidence uh, from science that there's a God behind it all designer is that our planet Earth is very rare. Now, there's a common perception among some people and many scientists that there is nothing special about the planet Earth. Indeed, we've discovered thousands of planets outside of our solar system, and there are probably trillions and trillions of planets out there. But Genesis 1 tells us that this planet was prepared by God for our existence. And we can ask the question, is there anything unique or unusual about the planet Earth? What actually turns out that making a planet like the Earth that can support any life form that's more complex than bacteria is not really easy. The parameters necessary for such a planet have been well documented by researchers such as Peter Ward and Donald Brownlee from the University of Washington. I can't really go into all the details, I don't even know all the details, but a planet that can support any form of complex life has to be in the right place in the right galaxy. It has to be the right distance from the right kind of star in the right solar system. It has to have the right mass and the right density with the right rotation rate and the right tilt angle. It has to have tectonic activity and volcanic activity. So in reality, there are trillions and trillions of planets, but there may not be any other planet that's like Earth in the visible universe. Ward and Brownlee write this, if some godlike being could be given the opportunity to plan a sequence of events with the express purpose of duplicating our Garden of Eden, that power would face a formidable task. It is unlikely that Earth could ever be truly duplicated. Now, in a few minutes on one Sunday morning, I can't do much more than list some of the observations that scientists have made that indicate the universe was created by a transcendent, intelligent being who cares for humanity. I hope I've given you just a glimpse that God has indeed made himself known through his creation, that he's given us objective evidence that declares his character. I hope I've given you enough of a glimpse that you can see that believing in God from an objective basis is not a blind leap of faith into the dark. It's a short step into the light because God has revealed himself. Um, as Christians then, I encourage you to keep asking tough questions and pursuing reasonable answers, because that is how we get to love God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Um, now, if there's a subject you're interested in, um, I'm going to actually be giving a public lecture at the University of Oklahoma on Thursday, September 19th at 7 p.m. in Meachum Auditorium. You're welcome to come. And, you know, if I haven't put you to sleep yet, there'll be more time to hear some more of this information. Thanks, Mark. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I've, I've heard Mike share this information a number of times, and, and uh, because of that, it's very obvious to me, hopefully now it's obvious to you, why I would ask him to share on this topic. Because when we talk about the existence of God, And we reflect on the fact that God has put these references out there through nature. Um, Science is a process of learning to listen. And I'm so thankful for Mike and and others um, like him who have seen their faith in God and their understanding of observing the world come together. And uh, so thanks so much for sharing that. Well, you know, we can observe the universe. We can observe the world in which we live. And we can come to the conclusion that there is a God. We we can see that it is a step into the light and not a blind leap into the dark to say that there is a God. But, But what is that God like? That becomes a very, very important question. How do we know what this God is like? Because we can look at science and we can look at creation and we can come to certain conclusions, but certainly those conclusions wouldn't take us all the way there. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, the verse that Mike referenced earlier. It says, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. What is it that we can learn about God by merely looking at the created order? We can tell that God is different than us, that He's divine, that He's eternal, that He is, is greater than us. And we can see that, that He has a purpose and design and, and He's a God of order. We can understand some of those things by looking at the created world. But, but how do we go from a general understanding that there is a God to placing our faith in the God that we know as Christians, the God of the Bible? there's another step that is required to understand what God is actually like. It sounds a little trite uh, at times for us to say uh, that the answer is Jesus. In the church, we're conditioned to answer questions that way. But you know what? we're, We're conditioned to answer that way because that's the right answer. Sometimes we think that when we say that the answer is Jesus, we're just making something up because we want to sound right. But there's far more evidence behind that. I'll give you a, an illustration. Uh, maybe you've heard the story of a little boy who was in a Sunday school class. And this little boy in this Sunday school class really wanted to always have the right answers when his teacher would ask. And so the, the teacher would ask questions, the boy would raise his hand, and he would want to answer. And, and one day, the, the, the teacher is like, I, I think I need to engage more of the students. I want to ask a question that more of them can answer. So that they would feel involved in what we're talking about. And so the teacher says, I'm going to ask him something really simple. So the teacher says, what is small and brown and furry and has a bushy tail and eats a lot of nuts? Thinking that this is a question they could all answer. They live in Oklahoma. There's squirrels all over the place. They're going to answer squirrel. Little boy in the back raises his hand, raises his hand really high. The teacher calls on the little boy and the little boy says, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. You know. I, Sometimes we think in church that the answer is going to be Jesus because it's just what we say, but the reality is that the God of the universe, who has references all over creation, knew that more than just general revelation was necessary for us to come into relationship with him. He knew that special revelation would be necessary to fill in the gaps so that we might have a relationship with him. And so the God of the universe did more than just provide references in creation, but he stepped into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, so that we might understand not just that there is a God, but so that we might understand what that God is like. Look at what the book of John, chapter 1, verses 14 and 18 tell us. It says, and the word became flesh, the word here referring to Jesus. Jesus became flesh. He stepped down out of heaven. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He lived among people in the first century. They they had dinner with him just like we have dinner with friends. They heard him teach just like you're hearing teaching right now. They fellowshiped and worshiped with him just like we are in community. Jesus took that upon himself. He took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. And it says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the apostle spent time with Jesus, and he saw Jesus live, and he said Jesus' life was glorious. There was something different and other about him. This God that the universe in created order gives reference to, Jesus embodied, there was glory that was about him. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. How is it that we know what this God that all creation points to is like? We know that by going beyond the created order and looking at the special revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. The answer of what God is like is Jesus. Think of the things that we would not know had Jesus not come into the earth about our God. If we just had the created order, we would know that God is great, but how would we know that that great God was also loving? We needed Jesus to come to reveal that love to us. Mike and I were talking before the first service about the story in the New Testament when when Jesus interacts with a leper and lepers were outcasts they were they were physically unclean they were contagious no one wanted to be around them much less touch them there was religious implications about how they were both dirty physically and spiritually and people wanted nothing to do with them but Jesus comes right up to the leper and not only does he engage him in conversation but he touches him he loves him he forgives him he heals him and he restores him how do we know that God is loving? Not just by looking at the created order because through the created order we can tell that God exists and that he's great but we need special revelation in Christ to know that that great God is also loving. How do we know that the great God desires to live in relationship with us His people? You know, We can look at the created world and we can say there's a great God who's out there someplace but how do we know that that great God is interested in you and me? We know that through the special revelation of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but came down and humbled himself, taking life on this planet, born in a manger, 30-plus years of life, teaching, relating, healing, eventually dying on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity so that you and I might have a relationship with God. How do we know that the great God of, of the universe desires a relationship with you and me? We know that not merely by watching the Discovery Channel. We know that by looking at the revelation of the person of Christ. He has explained that part of God to us. How do we know that this God who is great has set up a way for us to have a relationship with him that is not on the basis of what I do but is on the basis of what he has done? How do I know that there is forgiveness that is found in Christ and that that is our only hope for eternity? I don't know that merely by looking through a microscope. Through a microscope, I could say that there's a great God, but how do I know that I relate to him based on his provision and not mine? We find the answer to that question through the specific, special revelation of Christ who came and said, there is one way to the Father, and it's not through your hard work. It's through the perfection that was God incarnate. It's through the provision of Jesus' death on the cross. You see, it took special revelation for us to understand what this God that all creation references, for us to understand what He is really like. But when we see The special revel the, the the general revelation of creation and the special revelation of the person of Christ coming together, we get this overwhelming sense that not only is there a God of the universe, but he loves me, he's pursuing me, and he's made a way for me to have a relationship with him that would transcend this life and head on into eternity. Men and women, we have been incredibly blessed by God. That he is not just put us in this world and asks us to take a blind leap into the dark with no evidence, but he asks us to take a step into the light in light of his references, in light of the person of Christ whose life was was validated through his resurrection, something we're going to talk about next Sunday. He asks us to take a step of faith into the light towards him. Folks, God is real, and he's calling us to himself. The answer to the question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? Are we listening to the revelation of what God has us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to close in song here in just a moment. Um, but, but while they're coming up and getting ready, I'm going to ask you just to spend a moment of reflection. i to ask you just to, just to to bow your head, and I want you to, to think about two things. I want you to think about the, the general creation that we live around. I want you to think about the last sunrise you saw, the last sunset that captivated your imagination, the last time you saw the ocean in its vastness or, or looked at the stars in, in all of their glory, the last time you spent time in the mountains or in the Grand Canyon or Yosemite National Park or the Wichita Mountains in Oklahoma, I want you to think about those moments and just think about the, the, the overwhelming sense as you see those things of the reality of God and, and hear those things as a reference call from the universe saying, do you see the God who created And as you reflect and as you think about that, I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you also to think about the person of Christ. Because God wants us to know more of him than just he exists. He wants us to know who he is and how we might live in relationship with him. And I believe that there are probably people here today that God is 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 calling to step into the light. And I want to give you the space and the time and the place right now to just trust in the provision of Christ, the special revelation of God, the special provision for our sins so that we might have a relationship There are many questions in life, ultimately the answer is the person. Christ. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the the privilege of hearing from from Mike, um, the echoes that he sees in the universe of your reality. Father, we pray that as we reflect and ponder today, that as a as a group of people and as individuals in these in these seats that we would be trusting in you and the provision not only of your reality but also of your provision through Christ himself forgiveness for our sins and our hope for eternity father we we love you we thank you for this provision and we trust in you now and forevermore in jesus Please stand and join us as we close by singing the great God.